Hello, and welcome to the family at World Harvest Outreach. Mark has been going through several weeks on um, faith. I don't think I'm going to, I'm not going to continue that, but I think I just want to, I don't know if you could get away from it, right? Like if you're going to live the, the Christian life and if, um, if we can't please the Lord without faith, I don't know if any message ever departs from that topic, right? Like you, you're there. I think the thing that most impressed me was the idea that nobody shows more faith than God does. Nobody, no, and it's not even a, like nobody shows more faith than God. Because if you look at every single, um, well, if you look at your life, but if you look at every, every story, right, in the scriptures, it's never like he went to somebody who's already done it to do it. He's always went to the ones who didn't do it. Like, like did, what did Gideon do? Like Gideon was straight up like, I don't know who you're talking about. You know, when the angel was like, oh, warrior. And he's like, who are you talking about? Right? Do you remember? Like, had Moses ever led a whole people out of Egypt? No. Like, not, none of these things has happened. So no one has shown more faith than God. And he shows faith in us as he speaks into our life the things that he wants to, like, like, I want to see this. He prophetically speaks into his life. I have faith that we're going to see this thing. But what does it say? What, like, faith without what is dead? Works. So I think that God has so much faith in us, not because he just sees this thing in the future that would happen, but he's willing to put in the work. Like, if you have faith for something, but you're not willing to put in the work, then what is it? It's dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's fantasy. That's fantasy. Like, oh, I have, I have faith for great riches. Right? I have faith for a strong body. Right? Let me just turn on this TV. Let me watch. Let me watch these football players who have strong bodies, and maybe it'll just be imparted on me. I will be doing that this afternoon, though. I'm looking for some impartation. So we, like, our faith, actually, you could be really confident because you you can have faith because he's faithful. Okay, like. The one that is doing a good work in you is faithful to the end. Faithful to the end. Now, what's cooler about this faithful God is that he doesn't leave details out. Like, he's faithful about, like, the smallest detail of things. Really, like, the things that you would pass by and be like, all right, we didn't need, like, like, we didn't need to tie that up in a nice bit. That was fine, right? But he's so faithful that he'll come back around on the smallest thing and say, you know what? This, this little thing, I need to, like, I need to button that up. That's how faithful God is. I'll give you an example. A crazy example. This is like a crazy example. In scripture. 
I talk about the transfiguration a lot. I love that story. Like, it's an amazing concept, right? Now, on the, on the, on the mount, there is Jesus, right? And he takes his, you know, three pals, and they're up there. And this is not even what I want to talk about. This is like interesting. But here he is. Jesus is up there, and he transfigures, and he's with his three. And two people show up there with him, okay? Do you remember who the two people are? Moses and Elijah. I thought I knew why Moses and Elijah was there. I, I thought, I, okay, Moses is there because he's like the embodiment of the law. Like he's the picture of the law, right? And then Elijah's there because he's like the picture of the prophets. And the law and the prophets come to Jesus to be informed, right? And that's beautiful because the law and the prophets reconcile together, right? Like this beautiful thing. And then... The Lord was like, well, why don't you just like dig a little bit deeper and understand the personal thing that I needed to do there? Why it needed to be Moses and Elijah. Like, what's the, per like, what's the personal thing I needed to do for them? Because he doesn't leave detail out. So, do you remember the story when Moses is like, he's there with God, right? And Moses is about to see God. And what does Moses say? Or what does God say? He says, like, look, you can't see me. Because if you look at my face, you're gonna, you're gonna die. Okay? So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna hide you in the cleft of the rock here, and I'm gonna pass by, and when I pass by, you can look at my back. Alright? So that's what happens. Okay. He doesn't get to see God face to face. Okay. Do you remember what happened with Elijah? What happened with him? He's hiding out in the cave, right? He's hiding out in the cave. And all this stuff is going on. And then the Lord whispers like, yeah, no, come on out. What are you doing in there? But what does Elijah do before he goes out? Do you remember? It's like a small detail. Oh, you don't remember. He wraps his face in his cloak so he won't see God face to face. Because if he sees God face to face, what will happen? You'll die. This is the faithfulness of God in that Jesus walks in and says, you know what? We're going to button that thing up. And now I'm going to talk to them face to face. Like there's no more I need to hide you in the cleft of the rock or you have to look at my back or you have to wrap your face in all this. No, I'm so faithful that that thing over there that I was like content with it being done. He couldn't see it. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm going to make this even better. Come and talk to me face to face. This is the faithfulness of God. That he, look, he, just, Moses was like, I, I'm not getting into the promised land. He talked to the promised land face to face. He spoke with him. He spoke with him. This is the faithfulness of God that walks in flesh through Jesus is that he's like, look, not one detail I'm going to let, like not one of my word will come back void. Not even an ounce of my word will come back void. So yeah, Moses, you're striking rocks and this and that, and you know what? You're not going to go into the promised land, but you are going to talk face to face with Jesus. What is a greater promise than that? What's more milk and honey than that? 
So how can I not have faith in a God that has such faithfulness into the little details that it would make sure that he's going to button something up that I didn't, I didn't really care about. I, like I thought it was like... Ooh, sorry. I'm just so impressed by that. Like, that's like... So, it's brought me to this week, um, and like I really struggled with this week, like getting my head around, like what, like what am I, what am I doing this week? And I've just like, oh, I've come back to the story of Job. Like, is there any more confusing story than Job? Does anybody find Job to be like super confusing? Like Job, what is that? Like, not Job, like Lord, what's happening in Job? Like, what is going on? Sorry, it's warm. Do you find Job confusing? Okay. Okay. Can we? Why? I'll get back to it. Feels like a lot. Hold on one second. It feels like I was about to go. Let me tell you the 10 different ways why Job is confusing. And I kind of want to unconfuse it for you. I don't know if I'm going to unconfuse it for you. But Job is like a perfect play. Like Job would be a play, like because if you think about the story of Job, there's very like little expedition in the beginning. Like this is how, this is how it gets set up, and then we move into like the next portion of Job, and it's like when we tell the story of Job, it's like yeah, these things happen to Job, and then his friends come to uh, comfort him, right? Comfort him, and then and then uh, and and then he's restored. Right? Like, that's kind of how we tell the story of Job, right? This thing is 42 chapters. Like, have you read Job? Like, it's 42 chapters of just that theme. And basically, if I were to erase, like, Job off of the top of the Bible, like, if I were to erase it off, you would think that there are sections of Job, if I told you it was Psalms, you would be like, oh yeah, it's totally Psalms. Like, you would, you would look at me like, yeah, I know that Psalms, like, 83, right? And I would be like, no, it's Job. Like you would, and oh, you would think the things that the friends said would be Psalms. Like, like more things than not, when I'm reading Job and I'm listening to what his friends talk about, I would be like, they're right. Have you read Job? Like, I would be like, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense what they're saying. God is just. God is it. Like, we'll kind of try to get through it. But there's 42 chapters. So I don't know if you have 42 chapters of time in here. But there's basically 37 chapters of, and this is why it's like a little play, right? It's 37 chapters of Job, like, lamenting his life and coming to some realizations, and his friends saying some things, and Job going back. So most of the story is just this conversation between Job and his friends, and then God, like, steps in, and, and like, all hell breaks loose for Job. Like, he thought all hell broke loose before, but then God is like, yeah, I don't even think you know who I am. So I want to talk, I want to untangle like, Job because I think there's, well, what are the major themes of Job when you think about it? What are the major themes of Job? 
Sudden catastrophe? Well, that's like a major theme in the beginning. Yeah. What's the major theme? Like, what's the, what's the major theme of Job? Restoration? Okay. Yes. Oh, wait, hold on. You can, Tell me. So, okay, so there's a revealing of God, who God is, right, in Job, okay? Trust? I, I'll tell you, when you, look, when you listen to Job speak, you're like, I don't know if he trusts God. Like, I don't know, yeah. Praying for your enemies, Job does some, like, sometimes I wonder if his prayer is a little sarcastic. Why do bad things happen to good people, right? Job's sitting there like, why does this happen to me? What else? Navigated through trial, okay. Like Job is like the trial book, right? Like, oh, and but no, everybody like points to Job and like, yes, you want to go through a trial like Job, but no, you don't because you don't want to have that many trials. And I sometimes think about it. I'm like, who had more trials, Job or the people who died around him? Right? Like you think about these things. Okay, so I feel like a little one-trick pony a little bit with this year when it comes to our theme. Because I, I find that the theme of Job that I've come to is integrity and repentance. Integrity and repentance. So let's kind of untangle it first. Okay, let's talk the story of Job. And why do you find it confusing? Why is it confusing? Um, because Job's a good person, and it just feels like he's being throttled. Okay, Job's a good person, and it just seems like he's being throttled for what? For no reason? Okay. God's the one who brought his name up. Yes, God did bring his name up. Oh, man, okay. So, chapter one of Job. Let's read it. Let's go. Why, why, why? Let's, let's go to Job. Let's go to Job. Yeah. Why does God give permission to Satan to attack him? Oh, these are such good themes. Mark, Mark, anytime you want to jump in. Okay. All right. Because I see you have thoughts through your glass. I see it. Like this is like this. <laughs> okay. There was a man in the land of Uz. Uz? Uz? It's better than Uz? Let me tell you about something. By chapter two, it was Uz. Job was the land of ooze. That was a funny joke, and I, I'm mad that it's not laughing that much. All right. I know. Thank you, Amanda. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, there was a man in the land of ooze. I'm going with it. You're going to stay there. Us. Whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions were all were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkey, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men in the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. I think like this is the coolest family thing. Basically, his sons took turns having a feast. And how many sons were there? So how many days were there a feast? Every 
day. Like every day there's a feast and they're just like going to each other's houses and having a feast. Like I, I draw that conclusion. Maybe they did every other week. I don't know. But it's such a cool thing. Seven sons. Every day we're having a feast. And the sons are actually operating in the spirit of their father. Right? Like he is a man of abundance and his sons are operating with their family in abundance. Right? They're just like feast, feast. What? It's Monday? Oh, it's today. Feast day. Is it Tuesday? Yeah. What's today? Feast day. Feast day. Feast day. So they're operating within that like, like culture. And used to go and hold feasts. Okay, yeah, I read that. And when the days of feasting had come, completed their cycles, so maybe, you know, maybe it's like once a month through the week, whatever it is, Job would send, and this is so cool. Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Okay. I see so much integrity there. Like, th this is setting up the character of Job in that he says, look, okay, do you see Jesus and Job right here? Where? He, he was a mighty intercessor, and he said, I don't know, my sons may have sinned. I am going to consecrate them so that they are covered within the blessing. Like, this is, like, Jesus is, like, right in front of our face. Right there, Job. He's like, look, I don't know. I'm covering them in blessing no matter what. No matter what. So while they're operating in abundance, he's covering them with abundance. Like, I'm covering you. No, I got I'm covering you. I burnt offerings. This is Job. This is the fatherhood of Job. Okay? So his character, his character is like you can't you can't argue with it, right? Okay. So now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Okay. Here's when we start getting really like, oh, like Satan, why are you Satan there? Why is Satan there? Okay. You think I'm going to give you this deep answer about why Satan's there, but I want to direct you to something different, okay? Because way too many times we get caught up in focusing on Satan and his purpose when we miss the bigger picture, okay? I, I really hope I'm going to communicate this correctly. That's why I may need your help, okay? Because I, I, I just... Do you see a mirror in how Job is acting and how God is, is acting? What's happening in Job's culture and in God's culture? It's in the, like the first lines. What are they doing? What, what? Gathering. Okay, look, look, look. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. When the days of the feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate who? His sons. Okay, okay. Look, Job is one of our first pictures of operating in the heavenly nature on earth. Okay? Do you see that? Like, 
and, and it came with, like the explanation came with Job first. Job is there and he sends for his sons to present themselves to him and he consecrates them. And the father in heaven sends for the sons to come and consecrate or well, well, to present themselves. I could tell you that's a very similar thing. So while we're all looking at, oh, Satan's there, we're missing the fact that there is her earth and heaven unity happening. Because we're focused, oh, Satan, Satan, Satan. Okay, here's the other thing. How many chapters is Satan presented in the story, Job? Huh? A lot? Two. Two. The first one and the second one. How many chapters are there in Job? 42. There's 42. So after two chapters, Satan is out of the picture. He does whatever he does. And you're left with whatever you're left for, with. And then, at the, at, and then after that, what are you left with? Job and God. Yeah, I know his friends are all there and they're saying all this stuff, but at the end of the day, when you get to the end of the story, what are you left with? In everything that we go through, at the end of the day, it's you and God. It's you and God. So if Satan was there to, like, this, it's so hard because you want to be there and say, like, Satan's the accuser and he's there for this. But ultimately, he created a situation that pressed Job closer to God. Oh, I don't like that. Do you like that? Do you like that thought? That it's possible that there's purpose in Satan if you would press towards God. Now, there is great failure if you decide in whatever Satan does, it takes you away from the Father. And that's ultimately the choice that we all have. That's ultimately the choice that we all have. I go through this situation and I have to, here's the path. Here's the path. I go towards the Father. I isolate. You see that anywhere else in the scriptures, like in Genesis? What did Adam and Eve do? Oh, oh, okay, we made this choice. I listened to Satan, I went this way, and what did Adam and Eve do? They, they hide from God, okay? And this is ultimately what your life comes down to, is these series of choices where it's like, oh, I was presented with accusation, whether it be like a trial, or whether it be like a, whatever it is, and you get this, the fork in the road is, okay, I am going to either go towards God or I am going to isolate and go away from God. And that's the story of Job. So you could sit here and you could hash. like you. We can go through like all the, and Mark, please. We can go through all like the, uh, the Bible study and the, the thoughts of like, why is Satan there? Why is he walking around? And he's walking, and, and, and you want to know something? At the end of the day, didn't even matter. 
He's gone by chapter 2. He's gone by chapter... Look, Satan does not have the perseverance to stick around. Like, you don't understand. Like, and this is why truth is so... I feel like my thoughts are jumbled. So if you, if you need me to stop and explain something. But, look. The accuser only has the power... Like, he only has the energy to accuse. And after that, if you withstand the accusation and you stand firm, usually he's like, meh, I'm out. Right? He doesn't have the power to create something outside of just accusing you of something. All right? So what happens is, and this is why truth takes a long time. Okay? Because if the accuser can convince you of what he what he accuses you of, then he has you. Right? But he has to do it quickly. Because... Truth doesn't have an expiration date. There's no expiration date on truth. Like truth stands. And that's why truth takes so long. Because truth stands and says, I don't need to fight to be truth. I just can let the accusation or this deceit expire. Because there's always an expiration date on deceit. Always. There is no expiration date on truth. It stands. So while you're sitting there and trying to like, oh, truth, oh, truth, it's like, it's okay. Like, you know, it's all right. Because all these other things that surround, like you try to confuse you about who God is and all the deceits, like that's a lot of energy to prop those things up. Why do you think a lot, like, have you ever lied and then realized it's going to take a lot of energy for me to keep this one up? Have you ever? Like, and that's why deceit is trying to get you ensnared quickly. It's trying to get you there quickly. That's why Satan is out after chapter two. He already knew he lost. He's like, ah. The moment when his wife was like, ah, curse God and die. And he's like, no, we're not going to do that now. We're not doing that now. Satan's like, oh, I don't Next. Let me go entrap somebody quickly. And that's why, like, the plans of Satan are like, really, let me catch you really quickly. All right? Why do you think, why do you think, like, Satan went after Jesus when he was, like, fasting? Like, you're sitting there like, hey, how many of y'all made a bad decision when hungry? My bad decisions are usually on what I eat. Like, I sit there and I'm like, oh. Yeah, tell me. Counseling world, when people are most vulnerable, there's an acronym called HALT. Oh, hold on. We need a mic. Oh, hold on, hold on. Oh, oh thank you. Oh, well, I'm here. I'm past the baton. Okay, go. Wow. <laughs> yes. Work. So we're most vulnerable, and it's called HALT. So it's hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Yeah. Do you ever make decisions hungry, angry, lonely? Uh, L is lonely? Lonely? Oh, isolated? Or tired? It. Huh? When you get your, oh, well, that's productive. Good. But don't make decisions. Just listen to your wife. And clean the house. <laughs> you know what? I don't know. I don't know if I want to know what you're saying. I'm scared now. She was about to correct me. Okay. Where was I, Diane? Do you remember? Mm. Jesus is being tempted by Satan, right? He comes after you. He comes after you these times when he's weak. Do you think, 
Did Satan in the garden come while, Je while the father was walking in the cool of the day with them? No, right? He comes at you when you're weak. He comes at you when you're weak. He comes at you when you're weak. So he looks for these opportunities where he's like, you know what? If I could get this done quickly, we could do a world of damage. We do a world of damage. If I get you to fall for this really quick, really fast, then you're going to spiral into this thing of deception and you're going to go, you're going to continue down that road. But like, remember what Mark, well, you remember the cycle? You get into this, you, like you get into, I, I asked Mark if he remembered the cycle. I didn't need you to remember it. Did y'all remember the cycle that Mark put up here? Deception is on there. But from the enemy standpoint, it has to happen quickly. Once again, because the father is like, I've got an expiration date. Truth is eternal. Let all those things fall away. And at the end of the day, what's going to be standing there? Truth. With nails in his, like the scars of nails in his hands to, to, to purchase that truth, to, to purchase that right. Right? Like this, this is why when you think about Satan's role in Job, And in our lives too. It's a minuscule, but we focus on his role. Check this out. It wasn't even Satan's idea. Sorry, Amanda. Amanda, it wasn't Satan's idea. Like Satan's walking. He's like, Father says, what are you doing here? And he was like, oh, I'm just, I'm just, you know, walking around. I was walking around on earth, seeing, going to and fro, seeing what was going on. It was not Satan who goes, hey, uh, God, I want to talk to you about Job. I want to do a little thought experiment. God himself, which Amanda said, God himself is like, hey, Satan, have you considered Job? Now, I would be like, hey, God, could you consider me less? Like, why you? <laughs> like, why? <laughs> what you, like, <laughs> could you imagine me like, God, shh, like, I'm trying to be righteous and upright here. Why don't you just keep it on the down low? But God is like, no. So these are God's purposes. This isn't Satan's will. So the thing that you have going on, these are God's purposes. I, I've been sitting here like wrestling with the idea of the sovereignty of God. Mark, what's the sovereignty of God? Give me the standard definition. Standard definition. God is in control of everything. Okay. God is in control of everything. Oh, Diane's going to say Oh. So, oh, wow. Okay. That's the standard definition of, of, of sovereignty. I've come, okay. I've come to understand, I've come to realize this, something. I don't know if, it's, if the sovereignty of God is just wrapped up in the idea that God could do anything, anytime he wants it. I think the sovereignty of God is that he can reconcile things that I could never reconcile. And he wants to. Like, the sovereignty of God allows him to reconcile mercy and punishment in a way that I couldn't. See, the path I have to go to is like when something happens and my kids do something, like for me, I have to, okay, am I going to be merciful or are we going down the road of justice? 
And the, the sovereignty of God is like, no, 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 no. In me, these things are reconciled. But I've also come to this other like struggle with the sovereignty of God is that I feel way more comfortable with my sovereignty than God's sovereignty. So hence, I stop, I cut off the sovereignty of God because I prefer my sovereignty over his. Am I making sense to you? Like, like God's like, God's like, I want to sovereignly move in this area and I sovereignly over sovereign his sovereignty. I just, that's the max, I think. Have you ever said this and no further to God? This is the area you can't touch. This is the area where I deserve sovereignty. Like this is my kingdom right here. I own it. The pain that's wrapped up in there, I deserve to like hold on to it. Like it's mine. I walk through that. The healing that you can bring, just like, it's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the, like, the comfort of my pain. So I sit there and I'm like, well, I, I, now I have to question, am I sovereign? The safety, yeah, it's the safety of my pain. Because this is what I know. This is what defines me. So here's Job. <clears throat> I really want to spend time praying, so I'm not going to be long here. All right. But here's Job, and he's sitting there wrestling with this idea that I'm innocent. And you're wrestling with it too, right? Like, Job is innocent, and it's God's idea. Like, it was God's idea the whole time. He's like, you know what? And more times than not, I find, this is the only conclusion I I could come to. You remember last week we were talking about the process. Right, we have this idea of greater things are yet to come, right? Or greater things that will like. But the idea is that he brings us through the process. He brings us through the process so that you can stand and withhold the greater things. All right. So the, one of the worst things that that can be given to a son is too much weight before they can hold it. Right? Here, I give you. Well, the classic example, I give you a car, right? I, I lo- like every young person's like, I want to buy a car. Yes. You want to buy a car? You want a car? All right. He wants a car given to him, yeah. Okay, he just said, okay. You said no. He said, okay. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, thinking about how much a car would cost, like to buy. But... I don't know if I ever said, like, okay, so what's the maintenance of this thing? We talked about this last week. Wait, I got to put gas in this? Like, out of my own pocket? Like mine? Insurance? Maintenance? All this stuff that you have to do. So I can give you a car, but do you have the strength to maintain it? Do you have the ability So God looks at Job, and I'm wondering, and this is Ben's, like, wondering. 
This is Ben's wondering. You read in the beginning about like 7,000 cattle and all this kind of stuff. And God's like, I want to bless Job even more. I want to bless Job even more. Now, our thinking is like, so just bless me more. How about that? Like, how come that wasn't a consideration? Like, 7,000 cattle, 12,000 cattle, what's the difference, Lord? And it's a major difference to him. It's a major difference. So he looks at Satan, Satan walking around, and he says, have you considered Job? And the great thing that you can have confidence is, there is someone who considered Job, and it was the father. It was the father. Like, Satan could only, like, rattle off the things that he has. Like, oh, yeah, you know, you have a hedge around him. You have this, you have this. Of course he's going to worship you. And God is looking and said, no, I consider that there's something greater in there. And there's more I can give. But we're going to have to go through this process in order to get there. And we lament the process because, look, Sometimes the process really stinks. Like, really does. And I, I don't want to discount those, like, like, there's, and I hate even saying, like, there's this collateral damage that happens in Job. Like, there's this, like, like for real things happen. Like, for real things happen to real, like, real people. And I wish, Job, I wish Job would just have a footnote that said, and God welcomed them all into heaven and, you know, like sat down and had, had a debriefing. Hey, God, just to let, just let you know, this is what's going on. You guys are covered. I'm sure when they got to heaven, they're like, okay, I'm sure there were seven more feasts. I'm sure, like, I'm sure. I can only have faith, but it's not in there. And that's just me. But he looks at Job and he's like, I want to give you even more. I want to give you even more. So he says to Satan, have you considered Job? God didn't consider all any of the things that he had, like any of that to be that, that, that was not the sign that he was right with God. Like that, those were, none of those things were the things that God's like, none of that stuff is what points me to him. Like none of that stuff is the, is the sign. It's all that Job went through. It was like him sitting in ashes and basically cursing his own birth. Like, read Job chapter 3. Read Job chapter 3, where he's like, I wish my mother's womb would have sh was sewn up, and I would never have come forth out of it. He says things that you're like, whoa. Like, Job is really lamenting his own birth, like his own existence. And he still doesn't curse God. Now, I said there was two themes that I see in Job, and I want to get to them before we pray. And I really want to spend some time in prayer. What did I say they were? Integrity and what? Repentance. Repentance. Okay. I actually don't think it's him not cursing God that shows that he's integral. Is integral a word? Yeah, that is. Whew. Okay, thank you. I don't think, I do not think it's him like, 
just saying, no, I won't curse God, that shows he has integrity. I think that shows that he has some perseverance, all right? He may even have some fear in him, right? Oh, do you know, in, like in Job chapter 28, verse 28, I think I've gone by memory. It's Job that says, it's the fear of the Lord is wisdom. It wasn't Solomon who wrote that first. It was Job. Job wrote that. Solomon, like, remixed it, right, and threw it into that person. So I think I see, what I see in Job is that Job in the whole story is the only one to have integrity and tell God exactly what he was feeling. This is the integrity of Job. Not that he's like, oh, I'm not going to curse God because I just, like, I, no, he's like, God, I feel like I wasn't born. God, what are you doing to me? God, why is the just get, God, why, do, why does this happen to good people? And I think what is happening is God is setting up a culture where you can have integrity and be honest with him. Straight up, honest. Have you never said, God, why the hell is this happening? You, you've never said that? I'm, I didn't say it. So, I, 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 so you've never said it, so I can't say it from up here when I know you said it? Like, why am I going through this hell? You've never said that? That's you being the most integral that you can be. Because in the situation, you're calling out to God and you're saying, what is going on? And this is the integrity of Job. Now, everybody around him, let me read this chapter real quick. And this is where I say, like, if you read this, you would think it's Psalms. <clears throat> this, is, this is Eliphaz, <clears throat> one of Job's friends. Am I making sense to you? Do you hear what I'm telling you? Okay. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, answered, If one ventures a word with you, you will become impatient. But who can refrain from speaking? Behold, you have admonished many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the totter, the totter to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. Does that sound encouragement? He's talking to Job. Like, that kind of sounds encouraging to me. He's like, you've done this for people, so now I'm going to do it for you. Oh, do you know these friends, like, sat for seven days with Job in his ashes and didn't even say a word? Like, you all read that part? Like, these are actually kind of good friends. Like, if somebody, like, like, by all accounts, like, I'm like, all right, these guys are all right. I go. Okay, but now it has come to you and you are impatient. Like, he's being honest. He's like, you've seen, you've admonished people when they have gone to trials and you've told them, hey, but now look at you and you're being upset. This is after Job was like, yo, shut the womb up and let me die. All right? It touches you and you're dismayed. It is not your, is, is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope. Remember now, Whoever perished being innocent or were, or where were the upright destroyed? According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. By the breath of God, they perish. And by the blast of his anger, they come to an end. Does that sound kind of like Psalms to you? I can, I can go and look and show you Psalms that sound exactly like this. Where it's like, God upholds the righteous. God does this. God, Right? If I just erased Job, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The lion perishes for lack of prey 
and the whelps of the lioness are scattered. Okay, all of this, he, he goes through all of this. That sounds like, oh, it sounds like that could, you know, you're describing God. Okay. But it wasn't built out of integrity. Because here is Elphaz, actually, he's not speaking from experience of God. He's speaking from what he's learned and not learned through experience. Like he's basically reciting what you would recite. It's like when we go and we just take the Bible and we just start reciting things without knowing the person of Jesus and people get really annoyed. Is that not true? Like, okay, this is what the Bible says. And you look at it and it's like, oh, I see no fruit of that in your life. So what, are you just reading me scriptures? How many of y'all, when you're going through it, just want me to come over and start reading you scriptures? Like, zero percent of you. Don't sit here and act like, yeah, come over and read me Lamentations. Like, that sounds like a great time. What are you talking about? So here, in this situation, it's only Job that's being, like, it's having integrity. It's only Job. And we do this so many times where people are like, oh, let me just speak of what I do not know, which brings us to repentance. Which brings us to repentance. We'll go all the way to chapter 42. The scriptures... The scriptures are like lined with two type of people. Here we have that, like there are two type of people in the world, like people who categorize people in two types and people who don't. You know, like that. That's funny. Okay. The Bible is actually just like, there's two categories of people. There, there are people that go down the road of repentance and there are people that are, don't. It's like that simple. And you find that great things happen through those who go down the line of, of, like, go down the road of repentance continually. Like a culture of repentance. And I've talked about this before. It's those who, like, okay, I gotta turn back. Oh, I went, I went, I went straight. Oh, I went. This, this is why Saul could, could never lead. Because he could not repent. And when, even when he kind of, like, repented, it was like, hmm. You're not really repenting out of your heart. You're just saying the words, right? That was like Saul's major thing. So if you look at the characters of the Bible, like look for the theme of repentance in their life. And if you see, like even like even Samson at the end, right? He stands there and he repents and then his greatest triumph happens. Every character down the road, repentance or not repentance. It's just all wrapped up in that. So, so here, here's Job at the end. And, and this is why, like, this is the reason why Job did nothing wrong. Did you hear that? Was that behind me? Oh. God goes through three chapters of checking Job. Chapter 38 God speaks now to Job. And I really like how, like, uh, 
God's like a little sarcastic in this. Uh, I kind of like it. Like, look, look at this. You don't have to go to it. But Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, <laughs> now gird up your loins like a man. Can you imagine if God said that to you? Like, I would be like, Jesus, we are home. Give me some time to gird up, Lord, because this is going to hurt. <laughs> Just give me a moment. I'll be like, give me, give me a moment. <laughs> and then God says this. This is like his sarc- little sarcastic. And I will ask you and you will instruct me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God's like, here, let me ask you. Because you were there. Like he said, oh, man, now I'm going to go into this. Sorry. <sighs> I'm going to read it. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? (laughs) Where were you? Tell me if you have understanding. Who said its measurements since you know? Like those are a little like sarcastic. Since you know. Since you know so much. Sometimes I think I can act like that with my kids. I'm like, tell me since you know. Tell me. Tell me since you know. Who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who enclosed the sea with doors? When bursting forth, it went out from the womb. When I made it cloud its garment, its thick uh, darkness, its swallowing band, and I placed boundaries on it. And I set a bolt in the doors. And I said, thus far you shall come and no farther. If you actually really want to get an amazing like sense of the breadth of the power of God, read Job chapter 38 through 40 to get an idea of everything he's holding together in the universe. Like do it as an exercise to learn about the power of God. Not just him like admonishing Job. Like actually I encourage you, take it out and be like, okay, let me think about everything that God holds together. And he's like, Where are you when I command the sun to rise? Where are you? Where are you when the deer gives birth in the field by itself? This is who he's talking to. He does this for three chapters. And after doing that for three chapters, Job says, Job answers the Lord and says, I know that you could do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared which I do not understand. That is the heart of one who has integrity. That right there, that statement, I have declared which I don't understand. Like I just came face to face with God and I thought I understood all this. And I thought I understand, I understood it from the perspective of my prosperity. And now I understand it from the perspective of my calamity and it's greater than I thought it was in my prosperity. That's when you know. That's when you know that the power of God, like you're like, you're sitting there and like, man, I thought, Everything that was going well for me was a testament of the greatness of God. But really, it's me standing here face to face, him telling me straight up, 
This is who I am. This is the testament of God in my life. And then he adds. I, I'm just, I, to me, I'm, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that because there's part of me that was like, well, okay, you know what? Then maybe more trials. But curse my mouth if I would say that. Consider it all joy. Consider it all joy when you go through. Why? Because this is the proving part. This is the proving grounds of the Lord. It's the proving grounds of the Lord. The process, the thing that you walk through. Therefore, I've declared that which I do not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you will instruct me. I have heard... I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, and now by uh, and now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. And then at that point, God gets to turn over to his friends and say, "You have spoken nothing of me." And then he tells his friend, go to Job and learn about me and repent. Because he was honest with me. He told me exactly what he thought. And then he stood there to learn the lesson. I'll tell you what I do. More times than not, I tell God exactly what I think. And then I walk away before he's ready to tell me the lesson. Because I'm right. God, this is what I think. This is what I think. All right? This is what I know. Blah, 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 blah. And Job had the power to stand there and get three chapters of a download of God. I'll say this to you. I refuse for us to be so weak that we could not stand before God and get the comeuppance that will allow you To see him more clearly. And this is why in chapter 1 or chapter 2, God's going to be like, have you considered my servant Job? Because I'm going to show myself more clearly to him now. Because you did this stuff in two chapters. Because we went through the two chapters. Because we had the conversations that we had to have. And then you stood there and you took it. Am, am I making sense to you? Yeah. Like how many times do I walk away before like God says like, oh, you know? Oh, you know? So I want to pray. I want to pray. So let's, I want to pray. Yeah. 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 
We're going to about have a seminar. They, Mark, did you hear that question? Okay. Are you ready to rescue me? No. Okay. No. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. This is going to be my answer. In a mic. Recorded. Going out on the internet. No pressure. No, no, no. No, I'm going to say it boldly. I think you would be surprised how much there is purpose for Satan in life. Okay? I think you would be surprised. And I think, if, from my understanding, is that there's eating away of your flesh that only Satan has the appetite to do. Oh, I want to be careful how I say this, right? Um, am I saying it wrong yet? Okay. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to do it this way. Remember I said there's always two paths? Okay. You can humble yourself or you can be humbled. Okay? You can humble yourself or you can be humbled. One is infinitely easier than the other. Which one do you think you should choose? Okay, humble yourself. So, as I humble myself, I come under God, and I learn what he has to learn. Job goes through this. He humbles himself. He goes in front of God. He gets three chapters. Like, right? More times than not, you see when you need to be humbled. And I think, I personally think, that those are the times where God's like, okay, I allow you... I allow you to reap of what you just said, right? Here are the consequences of those decisions to not be humbled. And this is where Satan comes in and has his way with your life. And then you come and have a revelation. Oh, you know what have been good? You know what have been good? Yeah, like a, yeah, like a hindsight. But I, so I think that there's purpose where you get, where you walk into the situation and you feel like, okay, this is what Satan has for you. Okay, he wrecks your life. And then you understand what like humility is. And then at the end, it's what? You and God. So I, I think people don't want to hear that there's actually purpose in Satan. I, he's the accuser. He's the enemy, but I do believe that nothing is outside of God's purview. And there's going to be times where he's like, <clears throat> you could have humbled yourself, but now. Well, what would you say? So I was thinking about how I feel like every person in this room needs to go to Bible school. Yeah. Every other Wednesday night. Like, if you guys would be there, that wouldn't have been a question. But, and I'm not saying that was a bad question. I'm just saying because we talked so much about Satan last year. And so I want to be careful about this because there's, for all of you that have not been coming to Bible school, there's very little context for what I'm about to say. But I think one of the things that's really important for us to do is ask ourselves, who is Satan in this story? And in order to answer that question, you need to think about the overall big picture of the Bible. What is the Bible? And I think a really safe and secure place to think about all of Scripture, and then we'll go to Job. 
but all of Scripture, is that this is the story of God and man. The Bible has always been about a loving father wanting to have an incredible family, and you get all to be a part of that family. That's what the story is about. So then when you start to then kind of dive down into any one of the individual stories in there, you keep thinking about the big story. This is a story about God the Father and us as his children. Okay? And in my personal opinion, and again, this is not something that you, you have a lot of context for unless you've been coming to Bible study, I don't think Satan's a separate creature. I don't think the devil is a separate creature outside of the story of God and man, which means on the inside of every one of us is a Satan. The Satan of Genesis chapter 3, I believe, was Adam, not some creepy, crawly third party. I'm just going to be honest with you, and I know this is being recorded in the Internet. There's only like four people that watch anyway, so not a big deal. But those four... <laughs> Those four are nasty sometimes. No. Um, so what this Satan is, let's go to the story now. This is the story of God and his children, father and his children. So if you ask me, if you think about the context that he just brought up about Satan was among the sons of God. Satan is among the individual son of God, and he's also among us corporately. There's a devourer, an accuser, uh, someone who's not authored by the Father roaming around on the inside of every one of you and you hear his voice regularly, don't you? It's a voice that argues with the voice of the Father who was your author. And then what does it lead you to? Like you have these thoughts, these accusing thoughts in mm -hmm. you and it leads you down these roads. Yeah, right? and then don't forget that cycle he brought up, disappointment, disengagement or isolation, and then a depraved mind, which you no longer think the thoughts of God anymore, and then full-out deception, where you can no longer see or experience the life of God. That is a very real cycle all of us have been through. Every one of us. And it starts when we choose to listen not to the voice of our Father, but to this inward accuser. If you ask me, that's what's going on in the book of Job. It's For me... You have to almost look at all of these things in the Bible. And again, this is going to offend maybe a few people in this room. The Bible is too holy to look at it literally. It's too holy to look at it literally. Don't look at Job as an actual real person as much as who is God showing me he is in this story of Job. That is a way more holy thing to look at it. Because at any moment in time, you will be at some level of Job in your life. Look at it to see how God is in the midst of that story. Because that's who God will be for you. It's always a story about God and his children. So this story about Job is about God and you. And at any moment in time, God will remain faithful, whether there's boils or dead children or all of your cattle being taken away in a moment. God will still be there as sovereign as holy, as faithful. And in that moment, there will be a Satan that rises up on the inside of you and will try to detract you from the nature of who your father really is. So focusing on the first two chapters. Like, right. They'll make, make you try to focus on that small thing mm -hmm. and that small thought. Yeah. 40 chapters to go. Yeah.
So my thought is, Satan is, <laughs> he's, he's there, but he's in you. In fact, right now, there are probably thoughts that are circling around on the inside of you that are the opposite of faith, and they're authored by the deceiver inside of you, the person not authored by the nature and character of the Father. And we all gave him or her a place because we listened. And every time we listened, that Satan on the inside of us has grown a little bit. But it'll come a little more influential, a little more powerful. And the voice of the Father is in there going, hey, hey, don't forget about me. I was here before Satan came among you. So. Yeah, I think that's, <clears throat> don't go anywhere because we're going to pray together. Hang out with me. Um, <clears throat> I, I truly, truly believe that the more I keep kingdoms where I'm, like, my sovereignty reigns, is the more I give over territory to that inner voice that is Satan. So, like, okay, here are my finances, God. We went through this trial. Now I don't trust you. Now I'm in charge. Me, I, those are the breeding grounds of where Satan, like, gets, he just gets bigger. And then like, oh, family, right? Now I put I in the center and all these things. And next thing you know, it's all filled with I. It's all filled with I. So I want to pray. I want to pray with y'all. Oh, I'm sorry. It's 12. I, look where we got to. Okay. So I want to bless y'all. I want to bless you with Mark over here with me. Come on over here, Mark. Stand with me. When I say I want to pray with y'all, I I want you to stand. Father, I pray a spirit of, of integrity and repentance over our family. The strength and courage and integrity is to tell, to talk to God. Honest conversation. Honest feelings and honest heart. In that spirit of Job, where he could sit in his boiling ashes and he goes, wonder what the heck is going on right now. And God, I'm not very happy. And what have you done to me? Am, am I not righteous? And I don't deserve this. And I don't, and Father, I, I just pray that we have a heart to engage you in a way that will be honest and open and not religious. But Father, I also pray a spirit of repentance that when you speak, we are listening. And that we're not focused on the two chapters of, of whatever happened in before, but we're focused on the words that you're saying, the revelation of who you are, the one that hangs the star in the sky. The one that catches Leviathan with a hook. 
Jesus, you are so good and so great and so powerful. And sometimes I wonder, how could you be so powerful and so good? So, Father, I pray over the us, over us as a family, that we have such a culture of repentance that we will always listen to when you are revealing yourself to us. May our hearts be open. And through prosperity or calamity and trial and growth and, and all these things, Father, that you continue to show us who you are. So I bless us as a family to be able to stand. To be able to stand and hear from you. And when it's brutally honest like you will be, for us to say, I have learned now. I spoke about what I didn't know. I repent. And may the culture of repentance here bring more. May it add to your life. May it add to this body. May it add to your every walk of life. May the culture of repentance to continually be turned back to who God is. Because at the end of the day, you and God. struck by this and it's a little little off the topic of what Ben was saying but I just I was struck by it as he was praying that one of the lessons I'm gaining from this story of Job is that I actually have the ability to unleash Satan in my life or not Whew. And I've had to deal with his work in my life and the ramifications of it. And I did not always stand in integrity. And I did not always repent. But at the end of this story is repentance, which reverses the actions of the Satan inside of us. Thank you, Jesus. Please hear that as the ultimate end of the story is that when we repent, isn't that powerful? We repent, and not only does it erase the work of Satan, but it overabundantly replaces everything that we had with more. Yes. Do you hear it? Yes. And then you can take the end of the story and bring it back to the beginning of the story so you don't repeat the story. You and I have the power to unleash Satan in our lives or to make sure he never has place. Yes. So, Father, thank you for this story now. Generations and centuries ago, you wrote it so we could be reminded of who you are now, that you are way better than the voice of Satan inside of us, the accusing of Satan inside of us. We trust you in your heart and in your integrity that it would be ours. 
that we would never allow Satan to have that kind of sway and place in our lives. Yes, God. Thank you for this, for this picture of your faithfulness, your integrity in this story that we might walk in it too. I bless every person that heard what Ben had to say today. I bless you with this integrity and with a heart to repent. I bless you with it now in Jesus' name that not another story like these 42 chapters ever has to happen again in your life. Someone say it. Amen. Amen. Let the last story you've experienced like Job be your last story like Job. I bless you to walk in it. Repent quickly. Repent early. Repent fully. So you can experience the abundance that waits for the repentance. So, Father, in the, in, the, in the words of Job himself, I know that my Redeemer lives. So in our lives, we bind Satan. In our communities, we bind Satan. In our families, we bind Satan. In our country, we bind Satan. Because you have given us the power to bind Satan. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That you would entrust that with us. That you have this faith in us. We go with that confidence in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. World Harvest Outreach is located in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. But we have family around the world. To connect with us, visit us at whocenterpa.com.